Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just finished episode 56 of the Lessons from Lost podcast. That's fantastic. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Becky Bond. And what's Becky's story? Well, it's something a bit different this week. Becky is a writer capturing both stories about loss and also memories before they are lost. That's very interesting. Are there any memories of porcupines in this podcast? There's not, but I'm sure there's a story to be had somewhere. Let's find out more, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. Today I'm chatting with journalist and ghostwriter Becky Bond. Becky has been helping people tell their stories for 25 years, either as a ghostwriter through newspapers and magazines via radio and television, copywriting or as a host at literature festivals. Unbroken, The Woman Who Walked Again and Richie Who Cares are just two of her books telling the remarkable stories of loss and resilience from Georgina and Richie, and I'm sure we'll hear more about those stories in the episode. More recently, Becky has created a wonderful service whereby she captures ordinary people's stories in their own words and voices, recording a slice of personal history for future generations to enjoy. Welcome, Becky. I can't wait to hear more about what you're doing. Ah, hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So you're clearly passionate, you know, a, a career of 25 years plus of, of giving people stories, a voice of allowing them to be heard. And I wonder why is it important that our stories are told, both whilst we're living, um, but also for future generations? Um, well, I I think that, you know, I've, I've done so many different stories as a journalist over the years and I just think it's not the big celebrities it's not the I met someone famous stories or I jumped out of a plane stories for me I've just always been really interested in the the minutiae of people's lives what what conversations you've had in your kitchen um you know the things that uh, happened when you were at school, your best pals and things like that. Because really, most people, that's what we talk about. You know, if you go out for something to eat with your friends, that's the things you talk about and that's what you remember. And for me, that is actually life, most people's lives. And I think it's interesting and important to remember those parts of life that made you who you were. Yes. I always think whenever you see on this poem, isn't there about um, it's like like about your birth year to your death year. And what's important is the dash in between. And I guess that's that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're enabling people to to record what that dash was, particularly if you've if you're. if you're just a you know a regular ordinary person exactly. <laughs> and not a you know a high flying celeb or or yeah someone that's had a very sort of glamorous or exciting life but just you know everyday people 
there was a lady who I interviewed um, last week and um, she was she was so lovely. So her son had bought this Your Story, Your Voice experience for her because he wanted a record of, of her life. She's in her 80s. And um, I rang her up first and we just had a quick chat and she said, well, I, I just don't really think I've done anything interesting. I don't really know what I'll talk about. And honestly, we were there for three hours, right. you know, with the, the teapot was dry by the end of it. And she was lovely. We, You know, we, she talked about the war. She can remember living in Huddersfield and the sound of the doodle bug in the Second World War coming over the house and the Christmas tree glass baubles tinkling at the sound of the shaking. Um, she was a nurse. She told me she'd actually met the Queen as well. And all this stuff just kind of almost came out as an and finally. We were talking about when you got married and when you did this, that and the other. And it was all these other little bits that she loved talking about where she used to play on the street with the best friends and where they weren't allowed to go. And I just know that that's what her son and her grandchildren are going to love listening to further down the line because it's that you can relate to it. You can remember where you played as well and what your life was like in your early career. So, yeah, she was just she was just lovely and, and just my ideal person who was very humble to start off with and then we got to the end of it and it turned out she'd done loads of stuff oh how lovely and did she enjoy doing that with you she did it was it was quite strange um because she lost her husband three years ago um so she was still quite emotional mm. talking about him and we had um we did have a few moments where she said, would you mind just turning the recorder off for a minute? And she just needed to gather herself. But it was it was happy memories that she was talking about, but it was just making her a bit emotional. Um, and at the end of it, you know, considering I'd never met her before, we had a lovely hug and she just said, thank you, know, thank you for listening. So then I was in bits, you know, yeah, <laughs> on the way yeah. home, I had to pull over for a minute and just have a think about what we talked about. But she did, you know, the whole experience she did, because you don't often sit down with your own family and really talk about what your life was like. It's just not a conversation you have in day to day life. And I think by doing that and just taking stock you know, most of my interviewees get to the end of it and say, oh, I hadn't realised I'd done so much and I really have had a lovely life or I didn't realise that particular thing affected me so much, mm -hmm. but it did. Um, and it's been lovely to talk about it. So, yeah, I think I, I hope she enjoyed the experience. I think she did. I think she found it cathartic. Yes. Yeah. Sounds almost like a little mini um counseling session in yeah, a way or well, yeah. not really counseling but you know just that just that opportunity to be heard for two three hours to be to be listened to as you say because so often you know people don't have that time to spend with their own family that length of time and to be you know without interruption and to to be really interested because 
possibly half the stories you know you've heard before and it feels like you but you've perhaps not taken them in um yeah so you kind of almost I don't know perhaps dismiss listening to some of those stories and and I guess as well particularly for I mean I would imagine are most of your clients older people for your story your voice they have been so far yes um so um yeah they have actually they've all been 70 plus um but that doesn't mean um they have to be no you know it, no. it could it could be any age um in fact one one area i was thinking you know i'll just see how this goes but uh, a friend of mine is a um wedding celebrant and she was saying you know you should do you should get people's um love stories so people could 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 have their um how they met it's i think it's called a cute meet now or something as the teenagers call it um and just talk about from the first time they met up until the wedding day um and then that's something that their children can have or they can listen to on their anniversary so um oh well it's it's endless amounts isn't it because you could also do that you know maybe as a as a gift you know when you're when your children are born or perhaps when they reach a a certain age to to record you know that exactly so far from perhaps the parents point of view or although I couldn't think of anything worse than having to do a recording just after giving birth (laughs) well no maybe not just after (laughs) give it a few wait until the sleeping and then maybe have a go (laughs) maybe in the lead up to it maybe during pregnancy (laughs) but yeah so important for um people's stories to be to be heard and how about when it's been you know the Georgina and Richie you ghost wrote their stories which really you know they're quite traumatic and they've been through it through an awful lot I mean tremendous yeah. stories of of loss and resilience and recovery and and forgiveness and and everything so how important is it for them do you think to have had their stories told well they the the two very different stories but both have um I would say positive uh, outcomes so I, I'll just take them separately briefly sure. um Georgina um her book is called Unbroken the woman who walked again and um about 25 years ago when she was 25 she was training to be a paramedic and she was with her boyfriend at the time and it was a bank holiday Sunday and he was a bit of a boy racer he wasn't drinking but they were going on this really windy road in Yorkshire and they were in a head-on collision and he escaped with basically a bruised knee and George had to she was fighting for a life and I won't go into the horrendous details but her parents were told by the surgeon that she had a one percent chance of surviving and um over the period of really it was about seven years she had to learn to eat uh talk communicate she still can't walk unaided she is mainly in a wheelchair but she can walk with a frame and but but Georgina's story is 
amazing because it's really about forgiveness as well. Because this man, you know, he he had proposed to her. They were meant to be getting married. He went to prison for the crime because, you know, he did all this damage and there was compensation. They did split up eventually. But she forgave him. And this book was basically about saying, my life is very different to what I expected, but it's no worse. Because of what's happened, I have learned to be so resilient. She's learned to travel the world on her own it, in, as a wheelchair user. Um, she's done some amazing work for charity, helping soldiers, um, all these challenges that she's done. And then on top of that, just for fun, she decided she wanted to learn to be a pole dancer. <laughs> and so she found this fabulous woman who worked with her. She had a pole that sort of spins on its own type thing. And she did learn to get up on that pole and do some poses. Amazing. And, yeah. And she, you know, she's been through a heck of a lot. There's some really grim stuff not just about that incident, but before in her childhood as well. And and I just thought, this woman is amazing and her story needs to be told. And um, so we worked together on it. Initially, it was just an article for the Yorkshire Post. And then after that, she said, oh, will you write my book? And I thought, oh, crikey, I've not done this before. <laughs> um, but I did know a publisher and he loved a story and he knew I'd written columns and, and various things before and he said well we know you can write and we know that's a good story and we know I'm a publisher so let's just start and see what happens and the three of us together it was a real learning curve for me um George loved it because she got everything out of a system mm. on the page I was able to interview her surgeon even her ex-fiance uh, family members which was really cathartic for her um, and then she ended up going on Radio 4 and telling a story she got a national spread in a magazine and it was really um, it was just great for her and for me on on many levels really. And to, as you yeah. say it sounds like that was you know incredibly cathartic for it her was. so it's that it's that yeah um, the, that part of that healing process I guess. And and George's book really was the springboard for other longer form stories that I've helped helped people tell. So with Richie, um, his book is called Richie, Who Cares? And it's he he's 40 now and it has got a very lovely ending, but it was a catalogue of horrific abuse really from the age of four, um, his mum was just awful, not in terms of sexual abuse, but she would lock him in his bedroom, she wouldn't let him eat, he had to go to the toilet in a drawer. Um, it, it was just utterly horrific. And then eventually he was taken into care and his mum told the children there when she came on a, on a visit that, the reason he had been taken into care is because he'd abused his little sister. And it was an absolute lie, um, which is now proven in court, because when Richie was taken out of the scenario, the abuse was still 
happening. Mm. And it was his stepfather who was doing it. But in terms of being able to say in front of all these, you know, 10-year-old children, I didn't do that. He said, well, you know I wouldn't have done that because you know it's not girls I like, it's boys. And so she had really unwittingly made him come out without him really wanting to or even knowing at that age that that's really what what he was and that was the worst thing that could have happened because he said it was like these children who were quite often damaged themselves just pounced on that oh he's gay he's gay and he just had a horrific time and As a result, one of the older boys who had been dragged into a paedophile ring himself when he was about 14 ended up dragging Richie into this. And it was, you just can't imagine what he went through. Um, But somehow he kind of managed to just sort himself out. There were a handful of people who really, really did try and help him. There was a care worker, someone who wanted to foster him and um, a play worker, psychologist, and who he is, which is testament to him because he's still in really close contact with them and they're lovely. And they did tell their side of the story as well. Um, But, you know, as a result, his 20s were pretty turbulent because he hadn't had a normal relationship with his parents or anybody else. Um, But he always loved animals and became um, a dog walker. And now he's got his own dog walking business, which has turned into a franchise. Um, He also met this lovely man called Ben and um, they got married in 2017 and they worked together and lived together. And Ben was part of the interviews when we were doing all this he was really supporting him and he really helped him um get through some of the tricky interviews um and so Richie's book was published by the same publisher and and it's launched him onto the arena of public speaking and being able to help other people in care home settings to tell them you know what they could do to try and avoid this and by sharing his story he feels like he's turned something horrendous into possibly being able to help other people and also it helps him by just talking about it and making it not something he's ashamed of anymore yes because it's you know I'm just thinking two things on that point not only does it help other people because they can relate to it and perhaps it gives them courage or inspiration to to be able to um, deal with it in the way that they need to deal with it. But there's also something about that, you know, particularly in, in that case, potentially where there might have been a lot of shame or or guilt or embarrassment or, or whatever about it. It's actually getting it, getting out there and owning it and naming it, isn't it? Which in itself like takes that it's like well it isn't you know I I didn't ask for any of this to happen it's this isn't something to be ashamed of or it's by by putting it out there yeah and I mean even even when he was you know a teenager he was never ashamed of being gay Mm. he was 
ashamed of what people were doing to him and yes, like yeah. any abuse victims it wasn't anything that you could have ever stopped you know at that age you, you do what you do to save your own life yeah and that's all he was doing he was literally living hour to hour day to day just surviving to get mm. through so he could you know eventually leave or get out of the situation and that's I suppose on this podcast you will have heard a lot of stories where people feel like that and they have to go through the realisation of it's not my fault. Absolutely, that's definitely been a recurring theme through so many of the episodes, so many of people's stories about that. What do you think is the impact on people if they don't have their stories heard? Um, I think it's tricky because the, you know, as, as a journalist and working in radio, you get so many people saying, I've got this story. It needs to be told. It needs to, to, to be got out there. And, and it's not always the case because some, some people ring up and they're just actually really fuming with someone, <laughs> you right. know, and they just, you know, and, and it's almost like a, a revenge type thing, but keeping things in is the worst thing that you can do and I'm a big fan of well obviously writing um but even if you don't feel comfortable telling somebody or sharing it just writing it down makes a huge impact mm. because you can see in black and white what you were wanting to say and it just unjumbles I think in the telling you untangle all the mess that's in your head yeah. and you can see it for what it is and then you can approach each bit either with help or on your own or you can see it more clearly. But by not doing that and, and keeping it in, you're, it's like you're stewing on it. You're in a little cycle of what if or I wish I'd said or could this have happened or this is always my fault. I think in sharing, you just realise that there's so many other people out there who won't have had your exact experience, but will have had something similar or will have had the same feelings that you've had about an experience. And just in being able to share that, it's like a little bit by bit, a little bit of weight lifts off mm. your shoulders. Yeah. And I think on um on um on a different side in not telling, just in terms of wanting to know perhaps your own parents' stories and and things like that. Uh, one of my huge regrets is, you know, you would think as someone who records other people's stories for a living, I would have sat down with my own parents and said, "Come on, let's let's have a chat about what it was like when you were younger," and. With my mum, we even said, right, let's do it. And and we just never got round to it. There was always something, life got in the way, the children were born, you know, then they, they weren't too well. And, um, you know, they, they did write a few little bits down and I've kept all that. My dad wrote um, a piece in a, a magazine called Down Your Way about 
when he was evacuated um, in 1943 to Buckden during the war. And reading that uh, is really emotional because I can hear his voice. Um, but I wish we'd had actually recorded both of them talking because he was it was a great raconteur. I mean, all the stories he used to tell, they got more exaggerated <laughs> every single time. You know, he told this one about him and his brother Gordon and there was a girl at Sunday school who used to sit in front of them with a long ponytail and um, she was always used to turn around and stick her tongue out at them. And him and Gordon decided one day to take a pair of scissors and chop this girl's ponytail off when she was facing the other direction. Well, honestly, I've heard that story about 50 times and every time the scissors got bigger, the ponytail was longer, the, they got into more trouble for it. But I'd, I'd love to hear it again. You know, and he started each story with, now, stop me if I've told you before. <laughs> and every time, you know, me and my siblings would be like, yeah, we've heard this, but on you go, Dad, I'm not sure I've heard this one. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish I had that, not not for a, because they were really important, poignant stories, but they were really important to me and personal. Mm -hmm. And it would be just, I'd just love to, to hear his voice again that's a big thing isn't it being able to yeah and to I think it's better again. than video as well because with, with video I think people act slightly differently you just you feel like you've got to put your makeup on and sit properly and oh the the video's on and you, you're a bit different but when you're just sort of recording and it's the size of something smaller than a mobile phone on a table you just forget and have a conversation yeah. and that's when people are natural and that's that's what I like and you know in fact that's what what when I'm ghostwriting every book begins with a series of lots of interviews over a few weeks and the longer it goes on the more relaxed they are you know you, you just forget that it's being recorded and it just makes for a, a much better story because people are telling you them in their words seeing the transcriptions back and when they do that it's like oh I'd forgotten about that detail can we talk a bit more about that or I hadn't realized that I'd talked for so long about this particular thing perhaps it's more poignant in my life than I thought and it's only by doing that that you you find all these little extra nuggets and bits and pieces and maybe feelings you didn't know that you had I know there is something about carving out the time to do that as you say you had lots of plans to do that with your with your own mum and and just never got round to it and and I think that's quite true I remember when um when my daughter was oh maybe about nine or ten we bought both my parents a, a book about to my granddaughter and it was to to list all those lifetime things and you know my mum's done a little bit of it and my dad's done even less of it and that's just kind of really important information that and again, just very, you know, just very simple information, you know, like what did I what did, what subjects did I enjoy at school? Who was my favourite teacher and why? And, you know, things like that, which just kind of get lost if you don't if you don't record them. But when you know that it's just sitting on the shelf and oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And then suddenly, you know, 20 odd years have gone by and, and it still hasn't yeah. been completed. And it's. 
at least that those things that would just be really lovely to to be able to capture I mean my mum did you know they did write a little little bit so you know neither of them were brilliant writers but it was like they were kind of jotting things down or just little bits of memories and of course they go with all the photographs that that you've got as well um but I think for um for mum because she she was diagnosed with dementia you know ironically when we had more time to talk when I was visiting her in the nursing home I didn't want to record it I didn't want to to hear her not remembering things mm. and and you know say, so remember that and they sort of say well I, I can't quite remember that I didn't want to do it then the moment had passed you know and, and dad had gone dad had died before mum and and he was quite poorly with cancer towards the end so you've just you know you've really got to kind of strike while the iron's hot just make that time I mean literally it's just a couple of hours and even if you do it yourself get your phone out and just you know hit record or do a whatsapp message or something like that with record and and just have a little chat you know the only thing I've really got is when it was dad's 65th birthday and he died um in 2016 he had a, a big party and I did have a little recorder and I was just asking his friends at the party, you know, just to, what, what they thought of dad and some things like that. But there's none of dad on it. It's Aww. all there. It's really annoying. I was like, oh, I could have just done like a daft interview with him or something like that. But, you know, they're still nice to have, but it's there's no dad on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder as well, when you were talking about your mum being... Um, you know, when she was in the nursing home and and not being able to remember things, whether, you know, if you had done a recording when she, you know, before she got dementia, whether actually playing that to her might have been of, you know, might have been honestly benefit, but I don't might have been soothing for her or might have helped her remember things. That was just a thought that came to me. It's it's really tricky with dementia. Um, I mean, hers was pretty slow. It wasn't, it didn't come on fast. She didn't get angry with it. It was just a very slow decline, really. And the way, what I felt I learned, and this is just from my mum, so I, I know yeah. everybody deals with it totally differently. Yeah. And every but, dementia is, is different as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I found that it wasn't good to talk about the past with her. Right. Because it, it it upset her when she couldn't quite remember things. Mm. Um, I mean, even to the point, and I couldn't understand it at the time, but when dad died, um, she didn't want a picture of him in a bedroom. And 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 it, that really upset me at the time. And I said, Why don't why don't you want a picture of dad? And she said, I just want to remember him in my head. And I think she just didn't want to keep having to look at that and go back and remember that that he died so what we used to do she always used to love doing scrabble the yorkshire post crossword um and and things like that and so i would just go and and do the yorkshire post crossword with her and do you know what she couldn't remember what she was wearing what she had for breakfast and and what she'd done 20 minutes ago 
but you ask her some of these questions on the and and she'd just come up with it like that and it was the one thing that we could really have together and I felt that it was really important for mum to just be in the moment and you know she was never a really touchy huggy mum but you know I did hold her hand a little bit and things like that which I benefited from and I'm sure she did too but for me it was be in the moment don't be looking back and I wouldn't have wanted to record that do you know what I'd like to have done? I'd like to have just put the recorder at one side and for us to be in the kitchen making something to eat yeah. together. Because she she used to collect all the recipes and whenever I make this thing, it's like a chicken and coconut and sherry and apricots and leeks. I love it. And the smell of it reminds me of her. No one else in my family likes it. They all go, oh God, are we getting, <laughs> is it mum's meal again? You know, but... <laughs> That would have been a nice thing to do. But anyway, you, you live and learn, and I've still got lots of lovely, happy memories of them both. As you say, just capturing those dinner table conversations or preparing meals together or just, yeah, just having a, a chat while you're sitting having a cup of tea about, you know, rather than it being a, a formal type yeah. thing. Yeah, even I just know. in the car on the way to Marks and Spencer's. Yeah, yeah. would have been exactly. quite fun, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I know my daughter has said that um, because we don't get to see each other that often because we live quite a, a way apart. But, you know, she has on occasion said, she said, I'm so glad that you've done this podcast. She said, because if I never feel like I need to hear your voice, but I can't hear it, I'll just put one of your podcasts on and then I've, I've got you on tap. And, you know, that's a, a very unexpected um, benefit to having done these podcasts. Yeah. And actually, you know, there are... Um, you should yeah, interview each other. You should yeah. interview each other, and then you and then you you've both got it, haven't you? Yes. And yeah. then she'll she'll be able to listen to your interactions together. Yeah, yeah, that would be lovely. Actually, maybe we should. Uh, well, yeah, should uh, get that get that set up. But just going back to um, Georgina and and Richie, I'm something that jumped out at me as well is also the fact that you didn't just tell their story you were able to interview the other people who were involved in that and I guess for both of them that also you know perhaps made a, a a difference hearing how it impacted the other people around them because Often when you're going through a hard time, you you know, the focus is on is on you or perhaps you don't like to have those kind of challenging, difficult, you know, could, you know, could be challenging or difficult conversations. So to be able to hear, you know, what other people were, what they were going through or perhaps what they were doing for you or how it impacted them must have been quite powerful for them as well. It it was. And um, it there were a a couple of ones that really stood out um with Georgina the man who caused the accident he uh you know he went to prison for it and and they didn't speak for for years her family particularly could never forgive him but as I said she she did but he did agree to an interview and I thought that was really brave of him because Mm. he'd moved on he'd got married and and got his own children and and when we spoke it was apparent that he really had been 
carrying a lot of guilt. You know, he he basically said to me, I was I was in my early 20s, I was really, really stupid. And because of my stupidity, I ruined her life. And he he was very remorseful, um, which was interesting for George to hear because all the time when they were still together, he was trying to be brave for her and, and yeah. it was a different dynamic. Um, but also for him to be able to hear that she really had forgiven him was very good for him as well. I mean, you know, he was in prison for, you know, almost killing his girlfriend. To to be carrying that round is a huge thing. It's going to impact your life enormously. So that, in a way, really did help both of them. So many years later, it was 20-odd years later when, when I spoke to him, um, so yeah, that was that was really um, interesting. And then with Richie, there were a few people. So there was one man who he 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 was in a, a few children's homes, but in one of them there was a man, and um, he tried absolutely everything to try and protect Richie. But the way the laws are set up and you know, it, it goes down to the same old thing. There's not enough budget in social care, so there aren't mm. enough staff and everything's really stretched so thin. And there was one occasion where Richie had obviously been forced out all night. He'd come back. He was absolutely broken. And then um, these horrible men were flashing the lights at the care home, basically saying, you've got to come back out, you've got to come back out. And you know, Richie in his 14 year old head was thinking, I've got to do that. If I want my, if I want to live, if I say no, then the repercussions are worse for me. Yeah. So he was trying to leave. The social worker uh, twigged what was going on and literally stood in front of the door. And Richie was punching him and saying, Let me out, let me out. And he just he took all these punches and said, You are not leaving this building um but because of it the social worker got disciplined because he wasn't allowed to prevent them doing what they wanted i mean it was just horrendous and richie had never heard that from this man's point of view he'd remembered it as a child and he knew that he was safe with this chap but he didn't want to he hadn't thought of it from that side and then um, there was a fabulous woman who um, was doing a PhD. She was training to, well, she was a psychiatrist. And she read a story about um, the rise of um, young children being sex workers in, in an area. And she read this and thought, I want to work with this boy. So she approached his social workers and care home. And so for, for about 18 months, she, she, um, Richie used to go to the university and they had this big play centre and it was called Playwork where he could talk about things but not talk about them in a, yeah. a child-friendly yeah. way. And um, she kind of really fell for him and she wanted to adopt him. Um, she is a lesbian. She didn't have a partner at the time. 
And so they went through all these hoops to try and at least get him fostered. And so she she used to have him every weekend from Friday night till Monday. And um, he, he, he said that was the thing that saved him because he just knew if he could get through a few days, he would have that period of calm and safeness. And she only lived in a one bedroom terrace. So she always stayed on the sofa. She let him have his own safe bedroom. And eventually um, the adoption didn't happen at the time because then he got embroiled in this horrendous scenario where he ended up going to um, another secure unit, which I won't really go into. But as adults, he has now taken her name as oh. you know and she is down as his mum he calls her mum and he's now got this lovely extended family and they really took her into it but but interviewing her for this was fascinating and lovely for him to read because uh, you know when he was going through all this trauma he, he just saw her as a safe haven he knew he loved her and he knew it was going to be okay but for her she could see the bigger picture and she saw things that he didn't realize and different behaviors and it just I suppose almost even more cemented the relationship that they'd had as her being a you know in her 20s and, and Richie being in his early teens to now as adults and they've come through it and they're you know friends and you know well much closer than that they are feel like relatives Wow, that must have been really life-affirming, perhaps, in a way, for for Richie to have read about all those, you know, attempts by people to to try and protect him, which, of course, he wouldn't have seen, as you say, from his child perspective. Yeah. Of the, and and being in that, you know, I can't imagine the uh, the level of fear that would have been would have been in him. And and as well, I I did a. I think I did a short interview with Rich's husband now as well, uh, just about when they met and how he changed over the years when he met, because really it was his husband, Ben, who was instrumental in helping him get his story out there and getting it all on paper. And you could you could just tell the way they were with each other that it was just so lovely to see you could tell that Richie just felt safe mm -hmm. I, I, and there's no other way to describe it really and because you could see how much Ben loved Richie and what they'd sort of done for each other really because as Ben said his family at the time were saying is this a great idea yeah. you know it's history you don't know what's going to come out further down the line and um and I wouldn't say he took a risk because he, he loved Richie. So it doesn't feel like a risk when you're in love. But there was just obviously a connection. And I just think that helped the whole process for Richie enormously. And then when he read it back and it was lovely because obviously Ben was saying how much he loves him and all the rest of it. And, you know, he Richie was in floods, oh. and, you know, it was all <laughs> very emotional, but it was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which really adds to it being out of, you know, all that kind of loss of a childhood, then, you know, the the hope of, you know, there there is hope and there is there is love out there. 
if you can be open to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, you know, two incredible stories, but plus all the, um, you know, just those sort of everyday ordinary stories that you're capturing as well. Obviously, this is a podcast about lessons from loss. And and I guess with the ghost writing, you know, most of those stories that you're that you're capturing and, and retelling are around loss, but also with the um, your story, your voice, that's in a way kind of safeguarding against future loss, isn't it? So that you've got that, you've got the recordings and you've got the stories and you can hear that voices. So by doing all of this work, what what has been the biggest lesson for you about, not necessarily about loss, but maybe um, about life really and <laughs> I, I, I think that I think really the main thing is that you know what when you're younger you just you just think that life is all about you know finding the right person being you know getting a good career and having this and having that and really the main strand that comes out of every single interview is that it's not about the job we've got or the stuff we've got. It's about the people around you and the things that you've done together and emotionally supported each other, but also the happy times. It's just a, it's about recording the, the lovely memories as well. And that's what we like to look back on, you know, everyday life you know throughout the year we have highs and lows and things are great and bad and all the rest of it but it's just nice to remember I think that's it I just I just think it's lovely to just get that snapshot whether it's on paper uh, in a book or whether it's recorded and put on a little memory stick and bobbed away with your photo albums it's just about capturing a bit of your life not so much to say that you matter, but just to say, this is what I did. And these are the people who I loved and meant the most to me. Oh, how lovely. So if somebody is interested in working with you on capturing that story, whether it be as a as ghostwriting for a book or, or just that little snapshot, how can they get in contact with you? Um, well, there's I've got two websites. I should probably, you know, join them all together at some point um but for ghost writing and, and anything bookish um it's beckybondwrites.com and for recording a slice of your family history that's your story your voice.co.uk oh fabulous so all the information that people would need will be on there and all, all the contacts you. yeah all the emails and numbers and, and and anything else that you'd need lovely oh thank you so much for your time today becky i've really loved listening to you um and listening to the to your experiences of of sharing those you know remarkable stories but also just recording the the love and the good times that you have with uh, with those who are nearest and dearest to you so keep oh, up the great you. work yeah it's been it's been strange being the one on the other side of the interview but I quite <laughs> liked it actually you've made it a really uh, easy experience and lovely thank you ever so much Rachel <laughs> 
Becky for sharing the wonderful work that you do in giving a voice to people's stories and their life experiences. We learn and connect and find wisdom by sharing our stories. So if you'd like to share your story, either through Becky in a book or with me as a podcast guest, please do get in contact. Thank you to everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. Take care and I'll be back soon with another lesson from Moss. Thank you.